This morning's scripture text is taken from Romans chapter 8, verses 13 through 17. Romans 8, 13 through 17. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. O Father in heaven, we love to call you that. Father, Abba, so we cry out to you now, manifest your fatherhood to all your children here. Grant the testimony the Holy Spirit would be given in power and great measure in this room, in this hour. Thank you for the sweet moments in song and in truth and in the body of Christ. High pleasures these are. Someday there will be a a sickness betake us and we will want to be here so badly and will not be able to come. So may we so worship that in those days and in perhaps that last hour, you would fulfill the cry, when I come to die, give me Jesus. Lord Jesus, endear yourself to every soul in this room, I pray, so that we can say authentically, you may have all this world, just give me Jesus. Lord, make that the heart cry of every person in this room, I pray. Unbelievers, draw them in. Draw them over. Make them your own. Display Christ to them this morning, irresistible in his beauty and glory and perfect suitableness to their need before a holy God as sinful people. Oh, we love the gospel. We love Christ. We love the cross. We love the story of the resurrection and the ascension and the rain and the promised coming. So, Lord, ground your people now with this text from Romans about the testimony of the Holy Spirit to your fatherhood. Come, please. Leave me not and us not to our own devices Carry us. Be our teacher. I pray. In the name of King Jesus. Your Son and our Lord. Amen. Now we're moving from verse 13 into verse 14 through 16. We spent three weeks on verse 13, and now we're going to spend one week on 14, 15, and 16. 
And I'll save 17 for next Sunday because it's so breathtakingly awesome to be an heir of God and a fellow heir with Christ, which means you come into the legal possession of all that God owns. Take a deep breath. Pull your brain back together. That deserves its own message. So we'll stop at verse 16. Let me review just a moment so that you can see the connection between verse 13 and 14, because that's very, very important. Verse 13, we've spent three weeks on how do you kill sin by the Spirit? We use John Owen, kill sin or it'll be killing you. That's what it says. If you put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit, you'll live. If you don't, you'll die. So the pathway to life is the killing path, killing sin in your own life. And then we focused in on that little phrase, by the Spirit, in verse 13, and asked what that means. And I, you may remember that I said, boy, that sure sounds like the Spirit's kind of like a weapon in our hand. And he's not. He's a person. I'm in his hand. He's not in my hand. He wields me. I don't wield him. Now, we're going to see that confirmed in verse 14 in just a moment, but what then does killing sin by the Spirit mean? And we said something like this. You kill sin by the Spirit by having a mindset of the Spirit, or a mind that is set on the things of the Spirit, or, to be very practical and specific, we said, you need a mindset through which the Holy Spirit moves to kill sin in your life, and that mindset is a mind that is trusting in the blood-bought promises of God. Jesus Christ, and in Him, all the promises, yes. When your mind is set on that as your infinite value, your treasure in life, the Holy Spirit is moving in your life to destroy alternative evil pleasures called sin. Now, what we find in these next verses is a theme that has turned up nowhere else in the book of Romans. And now it comes thick and heavy in every verse from 14 to 17, namely our sonship. The fact that every Christian is a child of God. So look at it. Verse 14, all who are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. There it is, sons of God. Verse 15, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of, here it is again, adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Verse 16, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are, here it is again, the children of God. Verse 17, right off the bat, if children, then heirs, heirs of God. So in every verse, you have the theme of our sonship or the fact that we are the children of God. That has not been said in a single verse in Romans till right now. And now it comes boom, 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 boom. So Paul clearly wants to get this on our table. And he wants us to know who we are in relation to God. He wants us to know who God is in relation to us, especially in this magnificent truth. That we have been adopted, our children, and have a father who is our 
creator, infinite in power and wisdom and love, and that we are therefore heirs of him. We'll talk about that next week. So let's stay here for a while. Let's really try to absorb this morning how good this is. Because this is breathtaking. Let's start at verse 14. I've already reviewed for you verse 13. And I've said that the little phrase, by the Spirit, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, sounds like the Spirit might be a, a weapon in our hand. So by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body. That'd be wrong because the Spirit's a person. And uh, he's God, and therefore, I don't wield him, he wields me. And I said, that's going to be confirmed in the next verse, so let's look. Verse 14. Notice that it starts with because, or for. It's giving an, an argument, a basis, and an explanation of what he just said. For all who are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. Now, that comes in as a ground and an explanation of if you put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit, you'll live for all who are led by the Spirit that way are the sons of God and therefore have life, will live. So you see the two pairs being Paired off here between verses 13 and 14. Verse 13 and 14, here's the first pair. Put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit is paired up with led by the Spirit. The second pair is, in verse 13, you will live, corresponds to you are the sons of God in verse 14. So let's ponder these two pairs for just a moment and see the confirmation that we were on the right track in the last several weeks. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. Because all who are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. So now notice. When we do something by the Spirit, verse 14 says we're being led to do it by the Spirit. We're not leading him. He's leading us. He's not an instrument in my hand. I'm an instrument in his hand. I'm being led. I'm being moved. I'm being guided, according to verse 14, which comes in as a ground and explanation for verse 13. He's not a mere responder to me. I'm being moved and being led by him. So let's ask the question, what is it? To be led by the Spirit. Because if you took verse 14 and just yanked it out of context, you could make it mean all kinds of strange things, probably. You might say, if I'm led to the right spouse, then I am a child of God. If I'm led to the right college, then I am a child of God. If I'm led to the right vocation, then I am a child of God. Now, I don't want to minimize the fact that the Holy Spirit practically leads our lives and we should look to him for leadership, guidance. But that's not the context here. Let's make sure we get this right. The context here is, if you put to death the deeds of the body, 
you will live. Reason? Because those who are thus led are children of God. In other words, the meaning of being led by the Spirit in verse 14 is being led to kill sin in your life. It's being led into the warfare. So you want to know, how can I know if I'm a child of God this morning? One answer from the connection between verses 13 and 14 is, are you being led by the Spirit to make war on your sin? If you came into my office and said, I'm really wrestling with doubt, I don't know if I'm a child of God, I'm struggling with assurance. One of the questions, not the only one, but one of the questions I would try to draw out from you is, Tell me how you feel about your sin. And if you communicated to me a kind of cavalier attitude towards sin, that you're not engaged in a deadly warfare to put to death the deeds of the body, I would take you to this text and I would say, now look, the text says... If you put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live because those who are led by the Spirit are the children of God. If you're not putting to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit, then you are not being led by the Spirit. And therefore, your warrant to be a child of God is not there. Don't don't take this leadership of the Spirit and do anything else with it first. Do this with it first. Being led by the Spirit is being led into war against my bad habits, my personality defects. Those who are the children of God are chips off the old block, meaning I share my father's tastes in music. I share my father's priorities. I share my father's values. I share what my father cherishes. I hate what my father hates. That's the evidence of being a child of God. And the Holy Spirit, the spirit of adoption, moves in to do that in us. So the first evidence that we are children of God is that this leadership... Those who are led by the Spirit are the children of God is defined in terms of verse 13 because it's given as the ground of verse 13. Are you putting to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit? That is, is the Spirit moving and changing your life? And mark the process here. Changing, not perfection. We move forward, we move backwards. But the question is, are you cavalier about your sin? The Holy Spirit is not cavalier about your sin. That's why he's called holy. He hates your sin. And therefore, if he's there leading, he leads you into hatred. He leads you into war. He leads you into killing your sin. So that would be one of the questions I would ask. We're led to war. By the Spirit. That's what leadership means. So, so much for the first pair. Namely, if you put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit, paired up with those who are led by the Spirit. Now, let's go to the second 
pair. You will live. Verse 13, you will live if you do this. And the second half of that pair in verse 14, because you're the sons of God. So the ground of your life is your sonship. The reason you can know I'm going to live, I'm going to live, I'm going to have eternal life is because I'm a child. And the evidence is that, that I'm a child is that I have my father's values and I make war on what he hates. But it's my sonship which is the ground of my life. You know you have eternal life because you put to death the deeds of the body. Because you put to death the deeds of the body because you're led by the Spirit. And you're led by the Spirit because you are a child of God. Let me sum up this connection and then we'll move to verse 15. What verse 14 does is explain the killing of sin by the Spirit in terms of being led by the Spirit. So the very first meaning you should have in your head when you think of am I led by the Spirit is am I led into warfare and killing of sin by the Spirit. That's the first meaning you should have in your head. And then verse 14 explains you will live in verse 13 by your children of God in verse 14. And then it says being led by the Spirit is the evidence that you are Sons of God, which means in conclusion then that killing sin in your life is the evidence that you're a child of God and is the pathway to life. It's the pathway to life. Now let's go to verse 15. Now what's so beautiful and precious about verse 15 is that it clearly corrects a misunderstanding or maybe a misfeeling. About verse 14. It's so clear from verse 15 that Paul and God through Paul wants you to enjoy being led by the Holy Spirit. So if you have in your mind right now something oppressive. Something slavish. Something fear-producing. When you think of being led by the Spirit, verse 15 is offered to you as a gift now to get it out of your head. All right? Let's read it. It's another because at the beginning of this verse, explaining, grounding what he just said about the relationship between the Spirit and sonship. He says... For all who are, this is verse 14 again, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For, let me explain, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry not, yikes, I'm afraid of my master, but rather, Abba, Father. Now, this verse is answering a couple of really, really important practical experiential questions. One, why does the leading of the Spirit prove that you are a child of God? Why is that? 
And second, what is it to be led? How does he lead? What are the mechanics of the leading practically in your life this afternoon? How does he do it? Let's answer the first one first. Namely, why does the leading of the Spirit prove that you're a child of God? The reason is that the leading of the Spirit is the Spirit of adoption. When the Holy Spirit comes into your life and begins to work, however He works, and we'll talk about that in a minute, however He works to move you and lead you into warfare with sin, He's working as a spirit of adoption. There are a lot of adopted kids in this church. A lot of adopted teenagers and adults. Some are adopted you don't even know are adopted. And all those children are learning... And they're teaching us that they are loved as much and sometimes even more than children who are born into a family. And they come into the full participation of the family and they become heirs of their parents just like the natural born children are. This reality of adoption in the Roman world was a legal transaction of tremendous proportions, not primarily an emotional transaction, which is why the Holy Spirit must be given to make real the legal transaction. Let me read you from F.F. F. Bruce a description of the legal reality in the Roman world that Paul was functioning in. In the Roman world of the first century A.D., an adopted son was a son deliberately chosen by an adoptive father to perpetuate his name and inherit his estate. He was no less inferior in status to a son born in the ordinary course of nature and might well enjoy the father's affection more fully and reproduce the father's character more worthily. This is a massive, legal, firm, strong, unshakable reality. And if the spirit moves, the spirit of adoption, if he comes and he testifies in our hearts, it becomes a massive, deep, emotional reality, which it is supposed to be. So what does the spirit do? He confirms and makes real the legal transaction. There's some in this room right now probably who are not children of God. Let me put in a parenthesis here. You hear on the radio, you hear on television, you hear in books of various kinds, you hear in a lot of common religious conversation, all God's children. Meaning who? Everybody. Standard American religion is everybody's God's child. Now, just know that everybody is God's creature and not everybody is God's child, according to verse 14. Those who are led by the Spirit are the children of God. So you can listen to that and say, I think I understand where you're coming from, and you've picked that up, not from the Bible, but from standard religious talk in America. That's not what the Bible teaches. It's not reality. We become children of God 
by receiving Christ. Listen to John 1.12. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. If you want to know now, what should I do if I hear all this talk about the children of God and the witness by the Holy Spirit of my standing as a child? What should I do if I'm not one? John 1.12 says, to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. That's not what this text is about. This text is assuming that has happened and is talking about an experience called the testimony of the Holy Spirit. Listen to Galatians 4, 5, and 6 so you see the order of things. Galatians 4, 5. Christ redeemed us who were under the law that we might receive adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth his spirit, the spirit of his son, into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. That's the same as right here in our text, verse 15. Because you are sons, a legal transaction has taken place. And because of it, the Holy Spirit, in a special witnessing way, is poured out into our hearts. Who thus does something such that we experience the reality of the legal transaction in our hearts. And that's so important to grasp. So how does he do that? How does he do that? Verse 15 says, he does it. By replacing the fear of a slave toward a master with the love of a son toward a father. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You have received a spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. He's contrasting the fear, the cowering fear of a slave under a master with the free, happy, relaxed, confident affection of a child toward a loving father. Relate that to the leading of the Spirit in verse 14. I said it was given to correct perhaps a misunderstanding or a misfeeling that you may come away from verse 14 with This is the other question I said verse 15 is given to answer, namely, how are we led? How does the Spirit lead? And now we see that He leads us to kill sin, not with a slavish fear toward a master, but with a peaceful, happy, joyful, satisfied, resting affection of a child toward a father. You did not receive the spirit of slavery. So don't relate to God in terms of slavish fear. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You received a spirit of adoption as sons. The spirit does not lead you 
by stirring up slavish fear, he leads you by stirring up affection for your father. That's how he leads. So you need to check yourself right now. Are you making choices in life out of slavish fear that God will zap you? Is your life dominated by slavish fear? And if it is, you need to look to the cross, you need to fix your eyes on Jesus, and you need to ask for the testimony of the Holy Spirit to be made full and powerful in your life. You know, you you can get a lot of compliance with fear and slavery. We had supper last night at the Livingstons, and there was a Vietnamese couple there who was... Uh, older, escaped in 79, I believe, got on a boat with 94 other people and made it to uh, Malaysia. And uh, David asked them, because they've been back often now to minister in Vietnam. David asked them, do you think the Vietnamese people like the communists? Vietnam's one of the very few communist countries left. You got China, North Korea, Cuba, Vietnam. That's about it. He said, do you think the people like the communists? And this old man said, no. And then he lifted his hands and he said, but they've got the guns. You can get a lot of compliance with guns. You can get a lot of compliance with slavery. You do what you're told. You be shot, go to jail. And so people can cower and conform. Is that the way you're being led by the Holy Spirit? No. It's not the Spirit if you're being led that way. The Holy Spirit leads, it says in verse 15, not with the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Slavery and fear are not the way the Holy Spirit does it. If you're dominated by slavery and fear, you're not dominated by God's Spirit. It's another spirit at work. It's your own leftover stuff. And so, lay it down, renounce it, say no to it, and listen to this glorious truth. You have been given a spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father. So let me see if I can sum up how the Spirit leads to give assurance, and I'll do it this way. I see the Spirit doing or working in two directions. One from above, as it were, and one from beneath, as it were. This is not the best way to say it, maybe, but it's just best I can think of. The work of the Spirit in testifying that you are the child of God from above is found in Romans 5, 5. Go back there with me, would you? It's just a page or two back in your Bibles. Romans 5, 5. You remember we lingered over this and how I stressed this is an experience, not a statement, a fact merely. This is something we experience in Romans 5, 5. It says, hope does not disappoint because the love of God is poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now, read that in the light of verse 15 of Romans 8. You have not been given a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You've been given a spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father. Isn't this saying that 
from above. In other words, isn't the function of the Holy Spirit in your life to just drench you with the love of God? And the context there in verses 5 to 8 is that the way you tune into this is not by somehow tuning in subjectively to this amorphous thing called the Spirit. You tune in straight to the cross. Right? Because verse 8 says, this is the love of God. That He gave His Son to die for us. The cross, this big monster cross that we have up here in the front, you fix your eyes on the spiritual reality that that represents. And what the Holy Spirit does then is pour out through that fixing of your eyes and your ears on the gospel and the cross. He pours out the love of God into your life. Isn't that what verse 5 of Romans 5 says? The love of God is poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit. That's an experience, folks. If you don't have it, let's ask for it, okay? I don't stand here at the front to sign books at the end. I stand to pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to fall on people. And it's so sad how many walk out. So weak. So needy. We don't, we don't train these prayer team members to converse about baseball. We pray them to call down power. Don't you want verse 5? Do you have it? Are you lavished with the love of God this morning? Do you wake up in the morning feeling He loves me? You need the Holy Spirit big time if you don't. Now that's the first direction. He's going to pour out His love into your life. As he witnesses that you are the child of God. But here's the, here's the bottom direction. And I get it from, from the last part of verse 15 and verse 16. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons. I think that means the spirit is just pouring out adoptive love into your life. That's why he's there. His reality is to just pour out Your father loves you. Your father loves you. Feel that. Now, look what else he does. He not only pours this out from above, but he works in you and with you to bring about the right response to it. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry. Abba. You know why that word's in Aramaic? And not translated into daddy or anything. It's because in the Greek, it's also kept Abba. There's no Greek word Abba. It's an Aramaic word. It's kept because there were a few words like Maranatha and Abba that so absolutely stunned the disciples of Jesus that he, maybe just as they were falling asleep, in the Garden of Gethsemane, as it says in Mark 14:36, they heard the last thing, Abba, Father, if it's possible. And they fell asleep. Jesus enjoyed an intimate relationship with God that was unparalleled in the Hebrew experience. And wonder of wonders, he taught you and me to enjoy it too in him. Pray like this, our Father. Jews didn't pray like that in his day. 
It was too intimate. Yes, there was a sense that he was kind of theologically the father of Israel. But intimately, one-on-one, father, my father, your father, that was new and that was awesome. So they kept the very Aramaic word in the Greek. We keep it in the English in order to say, what a wonder. What a wonder. So what the Holy Spirit is given to you to do is not to make the legal transaction a reality. Rather, to make the legal transaction experienced. Do you experience this? Now, let me be very careful here as we close and try to get right at what the testimony of the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. What is that like? The Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. What is that? And I will argue, do not put your ear into the air hoping that a spirit will whisper a sentence in your ear to a neutral heart without any confidence in God. You are his child. To which a neutral heart deduces logically, well, I must be then, so I will now try to respond with emotions that are appropriate. That is not the way the testimony happens. How does it happen? It happens when you fix your eyes on the cross, when you fix your ears on the gospel, where the love of God is demonstrated in the death of his son for sinners, the Holy Spirit quietly and mightily moves in and from the bottom of your subconscious up into the conscious brings an irrepressible cry. Abba, Father. It's not a theological affirmation. Mainly. The devil makes theological affirmations like God is Father. Never does the devil from the bottom of his heart with joy overflowing say, Abba, Father, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Demons can say true theology. Demons cannot say, Abba, Father. The testimony of the Holy Spirit is not a deduction from a fact. It is a delight in a fact. When you are given a heart that rises irrepressibly up to your Father to embrace Him and say, My Father, in Jesus Christ, I'm loved, I'm accepted. Thank you. That is the testimony of the Holy Spirit. So... What should you then do? Because we're probably all over the map in terms of how sweetly, preciously, satisfyingly we're experiencing that right now. And I don't think it is the kind of thing where it's a steady state, absolutely glorious, wonderful, constant experience throughout life. No Christian experience has ever taught that. And I think in view of Romans 7 and other places, that's not the way it's going to be. So it's a constant thirsting, yearning, questing, opening, trusting. It's war. It's war. And so what you do right now as we close, if you want to know that you are a child of God, are you willing to set your eye on Christ so right that we sang, 
open my eyes. I want to see Jesus. I want to see Jesus. Because we placard Jesus in the gospel. So you fix your eyes on Jesus, crucified and risen. You fix your ears on the gospel. And you pray. Father, let me see Romans 5, 8. This is the love of God. That the Son of God was crucified for sinners. And cause there to well up in my heart an affection for you that gives expression to the words, Abba, Father. Thank you so much, Father, that you have given the Holy Spirit to pour out the love of God into our lives as we look at the cross and to stir up within us the irrepressible cry, Abba, Father. If there's any in the room, Lord, who's not trusting, who hasn't turned away from themselves, And all that this world offers to you as their treasure and their king and their Lord and their redeemer. Would you go behind them and draw them into that confession of faith. And then pour out your Holy Spirit into our lives more fully, more fully, Lord. We want more of you so that we might enjoy a deep, sweet assurance that we are your children. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. You're dismissed.